Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. We're finally back talking about actual football games for the first time in two years, Mike. And we welcome you in here. How good did it feel to watch CFL football again this week? Well, I mean, a little bit, but I did watch for various reasons and caught up on my PVR a little bit. It was, uh, I know, I think I told you at the beginning of the weekend, I, I, I wasn't, you know, excited wasn't the right word, but because there was no football last year, I, I had a hard time getting excited for the season opener. Um, but once the games actually done going and it, you know, the weekend was as exciting as it was, uh, boy, oh boy, oh boy, was it something to, it brought me back to something of why I like the CFL so much. Yeah, it was a weekend where, uh, you know, the, the CFL is back. I think I tweeted this this week. The CFL is back in true classic, chaotic, entertaining as heck fashion. Uh, and certain, that certainly can be said for week one. There were four games this weekend, and they were all entertaining uh, in one way or another, including one that had no right being entertaining for most of it, uh, but ended in dramatic fashion. So let's waste no time getting into these games. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about here, Mike. And we'll start off with the first one. Uh, great tough rematch from 2019. Winnipeg Blue Bombers open the season, raise the banner, and come out and put up a strong performance in the 19-6 win over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, you know, first thought I want to go with this game is uh, I think I owe you an apology here, Mike, because if you go back to the last episode of the podcast uh, where we did our fantasy draft, uh, you went and took Brady Oliveira in the third round of the draft, much to, you know, a bit of ridicule from me that you could have gotten him much later, but he couldn't have asked for much of a better week from the kid playing in his first true start at his home stadium in the first game in two years uh, where the banner's being raised and all the fans are seeing the first live event in a really long time after a national pandemic. Now, can you? Or a global pandemic. Yeah, um, I'd like to say Brady put me in a very good position uh, for last week. Uh, you know what? I just had it in twin because I I had heard through various channels that uh, he had a great offseason. Uh, remember, his first season in the league cut short uh, with a leg injury, which happened on a special teams play early in uh, 2019, um, by all accounts, he was strong, uh, healthy, ready to go. And I know from people that had seen him, uh, I got a little bit of a tip that said, you know, if needed, you know what, this guy didn't be ready to go and surprise some people. And one thing I found to be very interesting, now I don't know if this was a byproduct, of the game or who, what, or why. But I just felt like, as strange as it was, and maybe it was the timing of the game, maybe it was the score, 
but I felt like Brady got stronger as the game went along. Mm-hmm. Whereas some people in my, in my estimation in a lot of the games, I know we'll talk about one of the other games where I feel this was a factor. I felt like some some individuals or some teams dropped off as the game went along. And it was really, really encouraging for, in my mind anyway, to see that no matter what, uh, Brady Albera had himself a pretty strong second half. I would say he was better in the second half, uh, particularly in the fourth quarter when there was, you know, an inkling of a chance that Hamilton could get back in the game. Uh, the Bombers handed the ball to Oliveira, and he basically said, okay, I'm going to, you know, take control of this game. Uh, really in plot grinding mode was able to do it. And to be honest with you, Ryan, it looked like your prototypical bomber game of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot can be said, I guess, for the pieces that Hamilton was missing. But I just want to speak, if I can, to what seems to be a continual uh, pick up right where you left off defensive effort. Because I don't know about you, and I think I predicted a really high-scoring game on this show or perhaps uh, talking to somebody else. I have my concerns with what this defense was going to do. Never in all my wildest dreams could I have seen that coming. And, you know, what? with the offense, I think just getting back to your original question, um, we saw a quarterback, I think, for the first time in a regular season game, but wasn't, you know, the last game of the season trying to get his feet wet. For once, we saw, I think, a characteristic of an offense that is relative to their offensive coordinator now, building on what Paul Apolice, uh tried to do in 2019 with that offense, which is that ball control, ground and pound, uh, run the run the ball, throw the ball, really grind up the clock. We actually saw some things that, in my opinion, anyway, uh, that reflected Buck Pierce when he played. Uh, there was that those shots down the field, um, some of which were successful, some of which were not. Um, I have to say, I was pleasantly happy with. You know, we have an offense and we have a quarterback that can now, you know, get the ball down the field, not necessarily uh, just down the field in the pinch of a moment, but rather really stretch the defenses and give teams something to think about. And then, of course, you have that ground and pound running game, whether it's Harris or whether it's uh, or whether it's Oliveira. So all in all, I know it's one week. But boy, oh boy, did I like what I saw from the Bombers as a whole. Yeah, a couple quick hits from me here on what I like from the Bombers. Uh, to me, the bit, one of the most noticeable things was, holy crap, I didn't know Zach Valeros could run like he can. Right? He was mobile all game long, running around outside the pocket, throwing the ball on the run. A heck of an accurate answer on the run he is. My goodness. Um, I knew Zach Laros was a talented quarterback. I remember his very successful years in Hamilton, but, you know, with all those injuries that left question marks around him, 
he does he did come back and did you know in the couple games here lead the bombers to a great cup win but uh, i'm excited to see his progression over a full season here if he can stay healthy uh, because the way he ran around and throw the ball like the, the capability is going to cause nightmares for other teams uh, and I think the biggest shout out we need to give to this Bombers team is that offensive line because we have had many years here in Winnipeg in the past where the offensive line is just not good. And I think the aforementioned Buck Pierce you talked about was on some of those teams, right? Where we saw Buck getting hit over and over and over again. And now the Bombers have arguably the best offensive line in the league, and it makes a difference. It helps Oliveira go and run the, down their throats in the fourth quarter. It helps Polero to have enough time to run around until he can find a guy while on the run. That offensive line is probably the biggest reason the offense is successful and put up the most points on the board in 2019. Sure, guys like Andrew Harris and Darvin Adams and you name it, uh, to that, but the offensive line isn't playing as good as it is. Is the offense as successful? No, I don't think so. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is coming into this week, you predicted it would be a high-scoring game. I predicted it would be a sloppy game. I was expecting week one to be all the rest still on all these players, a sloppy as heck week. Uh, you know, defenses, plenty of pass interference calls, you know, a handful per team. Uh, lots of offsides, penalties, etc. Sloppy turnovers. The Bombers played quite possibly one of the cleanest football games I've ever seen in my life. Uh, zero turnovers and a combined three penalties for 25 yards, including none of them being pass interference calls. Like we were worried about what the time off, the two years off, was going to do to some of these guys. This team left off right where it. Picked up right where it left off from that great cup win. You you know what I found to be very interesting too, and there's no, um, there, this is no slight to the Hamilton Tiger Jets, who I think are going to win a lot of football games this year. Still, uh, my mind hasn't changed based on one game, but let's talk about that ability for Jeremiah Mazzoli to literally light the bomber defense on fire and send literally fear down everybody's spine on that opening drive. But after that, it was your, okay, we'll give them one drive to kind of get our feet wet. And then it was, whether it was injuries or whether it was, you know, necessitated changes, um, I, I would like to know the number of total yards, and I don't have a number in front of me, but the Hamilton Tiger Cats had after that opening drive. Because I remember, I think it was you touching me going, uh-oh, right after they, uh, right after they uh, scored that opening touchdown with rather ease. Just that ability for the defense to lock it down was quite, quite remarkable. Uh, they did a great job on Brandon Banks. Uh, they did a great job mitigating the running game, which was another concern of mine. Um, so I think if you want to talk about an offensive line, with you know, reasonably intact, I think we also need to have a discussion on the on the front four led by uh, Jeff Cole, Jefferson, uh, Thomas, 
you know, those types of guys. Because I think without their pressure up front, um, you know, the DBs and the safeties have a little bit more of a of a challenge trying to lock uh, down. And the name escapes me who got burnt on that one deep throw, um, particularly the touchdown. Yeah, DeAndre uh, Alford. I mean, Alford had a very good game after that, and it's not like Alford had terrible de- defense on that touchdown. That was just, you know, that was a Jeremiah Mazzoli putting that ball where Jeremiah Mazzoli puts it uh, to get his team a touchdown. So mm-hmm. I, I just, well, one of my worries for this week, and we can kind of touch on that as well, is, Okay, if this is your quote-unquote best defensive performance so far, it's only one game, how do you follow that up? Well, so I crunched those numbers you were asking about kind of loosely because of the box score in front of me. So that opening drive, Hamilton, I believe, started at their 21-yard line. So quick math is roughly, I think, 90 yards down the field that that equivalates to to get to the end zone. They had 297 yards of offense. So uh, about 200 yards the rest of the way after that opening drive. Uh, I want to touch on the Ticats here because obviously huge expectations coming into this year for them. We both have them as our great cup winners uh, for this season, I believe, uh, going back to last week's show. And but they're a stacked team, but... To me, the story for them was the injuries this week, and they were key injuries, and that made a big difference. Uh, no Chris Van Zyl on the offensive line. Uh, the Ticats offensive line had a combined less starts than Stanley Bryant alone has had in his career. Uh, it's really Van Zyl is the anchor for that O-line in Hamilton. Uh, so that caused some problems there. That allowed the Bombers to get a lot of pressure on Mazzoli and uh, forced them to make some errors there. Uh, and then no, no Braylon Addison and no Devere Posey in the, in the wide receiving group there. So you basically have Brandon Banks, which, as you mentioned, the, the Bombers managed to handle fairly well. And you had Jalen Asplund, who had seven catches, 98 yards, and that opening touchdown. That was pretty much hit at wide receiver for Hamilton. The rest, you know, Marcus Tucker, Jalen Marshall, nobody really got going. And only 58.5 completion percentage for Mazzoli. Uh, one touchdown, two interceptions. Like, this is not Mazzoli numbers. Like, this is not what we expect to see from him. He had an off day. He had a lot of pressure he was facing. He wasn't particularly helped out by his wide receivers that dropped a ton of balls that were thrown right towards them. Sean uh, Thomas Erlington, great running back. You took him in one of the first couple rounds in our fantasy draft. Got nothing going against the Bombers' defense, which just basically proves you don't try to run the ball against them. But, like, Hamilton's offense struggled after that opening drive. It was a tough slog for them. But this is one of those where it's like, please don't overreact to one game. Like, these guys are going to get back into the lineup. They're going to get more time back there for Missoula. He's going to have more weapons available to him. Hamilton will bounce back right away uh, in the next couple of weeks and this offense will be as terrifying as we thought it would be coming into the year. Yeah. But the other part of this, that was very interesting to me. I don't think Hamilton's offensive line was the problem. Um, 
Because to be honest with you, as many pieces as they were missing offensively on that offensive line, I expected a much, much, much more shaky performance. So that's you know fair. If this is the worst performance, quote unquote, that we're going to see from Hamilton, let's say in this quarter of the season. Uh, now, granted, they go to Saskatchewan this week. I mean, yes, it's a 14-game season, but I have all the faith in the world that they're going to get this ship straightened out. And, you know, for Hamilton, like I said in one of the off-season shows, I don't think it's about the regular season for them. I think this is about getting ready for the playoffs, and this is attempting to have one of the biggest parties in the history of Hamilton football on their own field on December 12th. Yeah, and I, I mean, defensively in this game for Hamilton, like they played really strong early in the game. They forced a couple two and outs for the Bombers early on. Uh, I believe Brady Oliveira had zero rushing yards in the first quarter, uh, but they just got tired as the game went on because the offense couldn't stay out on the field. Uh, the Bombers started running the ball over and over, as we've talked about already. Like, uh, the defense was let down, I think, by the offense. If the offense can keep things going a little bit more, if they have those pieces in there, I think this is a completely different football game. Uh, so the Bombers take the opener. They take the great cup, cup rematch. Hamilton starts 0-1, which is uh, not what a lot of people expected from them, but I'm expecting a bounce back for them next week. Are you ready to move on to the next game, Mike? Yep, sounds good. All right, well, then let's move on to the Friday night game between Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the BC Lions. And, oh, boy, is this going to be a fun one to talk about now, isn't it? Uh, the big storyline, let's get right into it. 33-29, the Riders beat the Lions. Uh, Saskatchewan goes up, I believe, 31-0 before BC comes all the way back uh, and almost completes the comeback. But the big storyline... We're all getting ready. Michael Riley, okay, he didn't practice as much during the week, uh, but he's listed as the starter. It seems like he's going to be the starter. TSN, the broadcast team, thinks he's the starter. Uh, gets ready for him to come out on the field, and what do we see? Nathan Rourke, Canadian backup for the BC Lions, takes the field out of nowhere. Nobody saw this coming. Um, I guess Riley wasn't ready to go. So Rourke comes out, struggles early in the game, uh, gets things going a little bit at the end of the first half with a long touchdown pass to Lucky Whitehead. And then at halftime, you know, head coach Rick Campbell comes out and in his interview goes and says, yeah, we need to do what's best for our franchise. And that was uh, not to have Riley play. And then two seconds later, Riley steps out on the field and starts the second half and uh, clearly cannot throw the ball very well. He's clearly in a lot of pain. Uh, what what happened here, Mike? I think this is a situation of, and I've seen this happen quite a few times, not necessarily at the professional ranks, but in the, low, the, the local games that I broadcast from time to time. Um, you're told the player is playing, and then after warm-up or sometime between warm-up and when the game starts, you find out that that player is not going to play at all. Um, 
it, it sounds like that's what this was. Um, it would be the only explanation that made sense. Um, to that, I really don't feel like the BC Lions would be one to would be one to mislead anybody in the lead as far as uh, I- injury information and that. Uh, but when you backtrack to what was the week, uh, he didn't apparently throw anything, uh, any balls in practice since Sunday of the game week. Uh, I was surprised to see him listed number one on the depth chart coming into the week. Uh, that really, really surprised me. Um but mind you, guys like Riley, to be completely honest, or guys with Chan, you know, when the coach says, oh, you know, he can probably play without practicing, there's certain guys that fit into that into that group, and Riley would be one of them. Uh, you know, I would even throw Andrew Harris and Darvin Adams to the Bombers into this list. Um, but again, I think it was just something of, he came out of the warm-up, didn't feel comfortable uh, starting uh, because of his injury for whatever reason. Um, maybe at halftime, men had a change of heart seeing the score, which to me doesn't make a lot of sense um, because, you know, if you look at the score at halftime, if you did, oh, you know what, the, t- the horse has left the barn as far as that game goes. You know, may as well let the kid you know, finish it off. Uh, the veteran and Mike Riley probably said, or Michael Riley said, uh, you know, let me finish this one off or to try. And, you know, I don't know too many coaches that don't give their veteran players the benefit of the doubt in that situation. Um, no offense to Nathan Ward, but, you know, Michael Riley is a fairly substantial upgrade in that regard. Uh, but it was just curious to me. Like, I was surprised, number one, to see him, like I said earlier, on uh, number one on the depth chart, despite not playing all week. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll take them at their word, but they said they were confident he was going to play. But I would just advise that now going forward, and I think the safe assumption would be to have Michael Riley as a game time decision for the next couple of weeks uh, going forward. Yeah. And this, this raised a lot of questions and a a lot of publicity, right? Because uh, a bigger focus with the CFL this season is betting uh, because single game sports betting, a bill has been passed to make that legal here in Canada and you know fantasy is becoming a bigger thing with CFL uh, each and every year as well and it's frustrating for a lot of people when you know your fantasy lineup or maybe some money you've put down on it depends like you're not putting as much stock in the Lions when you know Nathan Rourke's starting as you are when Riley's starting it's it's, there's no question about that uh, coming into the week so you know, at first you see that and it's frustrating for a lot of people uh, to see all of a sudden, well, okay, so no info from the team. Like, why didn't anybody let me know? 
And, and you start thinking, you know, should teams have to go in, you know, an hour before kickoff, okay, this is where you have to make the final decision. Is this guy going to play or not? But then it's like, you know, what we got into as, as it came out and, you know, in the interviews post-game stuff is, like, it sounds like Riley pulled himself, like, right at kickoff, right? And in which case, you can make all these plans. For sure, you have to go and say this an hour before or whatever. But, like, let's say a guy's feeling fine an hour before, and then he throws a ball in warm-up, and he starts feeling a lot of pain. Are you going to throw a guy out there injured just because, oh, we have to lock the lineups in an hour before? No, that that's dumb to me. That Why risk a guy's health just for that? And that's not what it's about. Uh, so yeah, I was originally kind of in that group that was a little bit frustrated at first. Luckily I did not have Riley starting on my fantasy team this week, uh, myself, but it was kind of one of those situations where it was frustrating for a lot of people, but as you get the more facts as you go along, I understand what ended up happening here. Uh, well, just to talk about Nathan Rourke though, he, he struggled so much in that first half for the most part. Uh, until he started getting a bit of rhythm at the end, had that nice long touchdown pass, 75-yarder to Lucky Whitehead, which was a thing of beauty. Riley comes out to start the second half, gets the Lions back into the game. Then all of a sudden, it's back to Rourke again for the stretch drive. I don't know if we've ever seen a Canadian quarterback start in week number one in the CFL. If we have, it's been a long time. Can you think of a more thrown to the fire situation than literally two minutes before kickoff, you're told you're starting the game and things aren't going well. And then uh, you get pulled from the game, but then all of a sudden you're back in the game and now you have to go out there in the final couple minutes and win this thing. That's football, Ryan. I mean, Ward should have known what was coming or at least been prepared for what was coming just by the fact that he took all the number one reps leading up to the game. It's not like Riley took all the reps and said, you know, Ward is going to be the number two guy no matter what. Right? Riley didn't throw the ball, so Ward, Ward was pretty was pretty uh, prepared by all accounts for the game. And you know what? He did, and, and I, I watched the game back on uh, – on the PVR here, just to, t- to kind of get a sense of what was happening, so I had to talk about it because uh, I had heard a myriad of different scenarios and I wanna, wanted to kind of see it for myself. I saw it as the guy that was really, really nervous early in the game. Uh, a guy that, remember, he's not from U-Sport. He, he played for Ohio University in the States. So he played the American college football rules, not a Canadian, but came through the U sport, uh, Canadian university program. So, you know, just to adjust to the length of the field, the extra man, uh, the pre-snap motion, I'm not surprised he had the first half he did. But in speaking to people that had watched him play, whether it was in college or know him, of him and of his work ethic, that second half, you know, to come back and block out everything that happened in that first half and have some semblance of success in the second half, despite everything that's happened, 
I think he needs to be commended for his man, the mental fortitude of, you know, mm-hmm. the back and the back and forth. Because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of quarterbacks that would probably fold the ten based on what happened in the first half. Um, you know, he he got the ship reasonably uh, straightened out in that second half, and, and I think you know it's a learning thing. Whether it's you know. I don't know how else to explain this, but playing college football in the States is a lot different than playing university football in in Canada. And I would liken it to the NFL, uh, you know, the Americans coming from the NFL and getting used to the CFL. It, it, it's not an easy thing. And I think we saw in the second half, you know, whether it was for a drive or for 10 minutes or for a quarter, Exactly why the BC Lions are high on Nathan Ward and that mental ability to overcome and block out, hey, you know what? The first half wasn't very good, but hey, we're one very good drive away from saying for just that old debacle of a first half, which I don't think was all on a work looking back. There were were some unfortunate events which led to that deficit. But if I'm PC, I am extremely proud of the way he came out of that, the way he handled the benching, and then to go back in and play as well as he did. You know what? That's going to be interesting. And I think what we're going to see with Wart is we're going to see that that touchdown pass to Lucky Whitehead replayed a lot. Because I just got the sense that that's the moment where the light tenor went on for a mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and he said, I can play here now. You know, everybody needs that one moment where the game slows down. And, and I'll tell you what, I will not be shocked if uh, he's behind center here for week two. Now, now, the Lions come back, they almost win this game. And really, you know, it came down to a couple of missed opportunities. Uh, definitely an up, uh, up and down night for uh, kicker Takeru Yamasaki, who uh, becomes the first Japanese-born player to ever score a point in CFL history with, uh, I believe it was a field goal early in the second quarter, I want to say, uh, that he made or late in the second quarter. Um, you know, he becomes first player. Uh, he's, he's a part of history from there on. And good on him. You know, it's great seeing these global players come in, get a shot. He's the starting kicker for this team. Like, that. that's awesome to see. Uh, he struggles later on, though. He misses two field goals on the night. He also missed a key convert late in the game. Like, missed field goal and missed convert. Lions lose by four points. It, I, I'm not pinning the loss on him. I think it's a lot of things you talked about. You know, the defense let them down a bit in the first half. Uh, you had Rourke, who was inexperienced in the first half. Yamasaki's a, uh, inexperienced in his own right. Uh, it's an unfortunate end for the Lions, and you have to think what could have been if they made some of those plays, hey? You know what? Hindsight being 2020. It's easy to fold the tent when you're down 17 and three possessions uh, very early in that team. Um, but to have the mental fortitude to, to put a combat for, I know there were missed field goals and I know there was a missed convert, but all things considered, if you would have said, hey, you know, losing by 21 to 24 points, or fighting back to, you know, to gain 20 points. 
there there's a lot more positives to show for BC than there are negatives. Um, and I think just touching on stats one quickly, um, what stands out to me here is Craig Dickinson's comments about how they weren't in shape after the, the uh, green and white game. Maybe he felt like their energy level uh, dropped off as the game got on. I think we saw the same kind of thing here. Um, and that's a very concerning thing for, for, for Saskatchewan. Um, I don't even know, but I know a lot of Ryder fans, and then they're, they're saying this is beyond, you know, a win's a win here. Um, because can you imagine, just imagine if, you know, BC would have completed that comeback. What would they be talking about in Regina this week? The unspeakable second half collapse, which mm-hmm. just about happened. It's a really concerning thing. If you, if your football team cannot get out of a game because you feel like they're out of game shape or not as a result of not having played a lot of football, that's very concerning. And that's almost on uh, the coaching staff for not taking advantage early in camp of ramping guys up to the, uh, you know, to the to the fitness aspect of it. I know uh, the Bombers spent a couple of days just quickly at the beginning of camp uh, acclimating guys to the physical, uh, like lots of running, lots of walking, lots of, you know, stuff to build up exercises and whatnot to build up stamina. Um, and, and it showed reasonably uh reasonably effortless by the end of the game. But if you're saying, oh, we weren't in physical peak condition at the end of the game, which is somewhat of what I'm hearing out of Saskatchewan even after last week, that's very, very concerning. And imagine if that game wasn't as big of a deficit at halftime as it was. You know, we're not talking about a rider win, and it's almost like you have to go back to the drawing board. Now, granted, I am not a football player. Granted, I am not playing my first team in two years. But that just strikes me as a concern if I'm hearing that. Uh, and it wasn't the first time I heard that. I heard that after the after the green and white team. Uh, some Someone's a bad comment, which I think I sent to you to look at. Mm. That, that that's not that would scream that would scream concern to me it doesn't matter who you are now I know it's one game but still it's it's very very interesting well I mean start the game off first quarter second quarter dream start to the season Ryder fans are beside themselves with how well the start to the season is going right couple quick touchdowns mm-hmm. boom you're up uh, what was it at halftime or well, before I guess that uh, before BC got that first touchdown, 31, nothing Saskatchewan. Like this is in the second quarter. You're starting to think to yourself, how bad is this going to get yet tonight? How big of a difference is this going to be? And then they just fell off. And I think a big part of that, and maybe it plays into the conditioning thing you were talking about. Uh, this is something that uh, John Hodge from three down nation that tweeted out 
during this game late in the uh, or early in the fourth quarter, I guess. Um, the Riders didn't run the ball in the second half until I, I just looked it up now. Uh, one minute and 32 seconds left in the fourth quarter. A two-yard run by William Powell was the only rushing play the Saskatchewan Rough Riders ran in the second half of this game. I don't understand how, when you're up by 31 nothing at some point, and you have William Powell, who's one of the best, best running backs in the game, Mm-hmm. You just decide every pass going, every play going forward is going to be a pass. Now I know Cody Fajardo completed eighty percent of his passes, which is a remarkable feat in its own right. But you've got Powell there, who had forty-three yards on the ground on twelve carries, so he had eleven carries in the first half. How does he get one in the second half only? How does this happen? I, yeah. I'm done. I'm beside myself here. You'd think think ball control would be the name of the game going forward. Um, And then you hear all the concerns about, you know, the physical condition late in a football game. It just makes me wonder. And, you know, in a general sense, okay, in a general sense, if nobody takes a year off and everything's normal, there's no pandemic, and, you know, we're playing football last year, it's still a huge debate in normal times and in COVID times. How you're up 31 points at halftime and you only run the ball once in the second half, like, like, that just defies logic to me. Yeah, I will say this. Uh, the Riders do hold on for the win. At the end of the day, they get the win, and that's all that matters in the standings. Um, and the big concern coming in by everybody, myself included, was how is this offensive line going to handle this? Because they've lost so many pieces on that O-line. I thought the Riders O-line did pretty good. I thought Fajardo got the ball out of his hands real quick, which I figured he needed to do. Uh, and that offense was able to early in the game still get things going. And it was a pleasant surprise uh, given the concerns about the O-line. But Riders hold on for the win in a uh, big comeback nail-biter that they managed to stave off. Well, let's move on to talking about our next game here, the first of the Saturday night doubleheader. Uh, Mike, we have the, uh, the blue Calgary team beats the red Calgary team 23-20. Uh, and yes, the blue one is the Toronto Argonauts, who, if you watched the game or if you've really followed any of the offseason news, uh, I am now calling Calgary blue because they uh, are about 80% former Calgary Stampeders. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest, just for disclosure, I did not see any of this game. I only saw the, uh, the score, so I can't really comment on particular events within the game. Um, But I did see a Calgary defensive player take away a touchdown on the goal line after punching the ball out. Um, This to me, looking back, and I know I kind of, I should have alluded to it last week, but I think I didn't, and and hindsight being twenty twenty, and people said, "Oh, you could say that now, but the game's done." 
I think I disrespected Toronto a little bit too much uh, coming into this game, regardless of the fact that they were playing Calgary. And for me, I take full responsibility for that um, because what I saw from Toronto far exceeded uh, what I expected from them. Now, granted, a lot of them are former Calgary Stampeders, but I'll tell you what, you cannot underestimate those monumental victories in a season for a franchise. What a start. I mean, Ryan Dinwiddie, you know, I questioned him, you know, being named head coach of the Toronto Argonauts because of his experience. Throw that out the window. This was a very, very good, uh, particularly Toronto defense. And look, McLeod Bethel-Thompson got some actual help around him, and he didn't have to do everything. And who knew that that is what McLeod Bethel-Thompson needed to be successful? Yeah, it's, it's, it's shocking, hey? You surround a good player with other good players and he'll actually be an even better player. Like, who, who could have seen this coming that if the Argos finally brought him some help, he'd succeed? Yeah, and I'll tell you something. We spent, I think it was two shows ago, raving about how Calgary cannot be beaten at home. You know, Calgary at home is like an automatic while Toronto just said, hold on a minute. You know what? We don't mind that you guys aren't talking about us. But now after the game, I think it needs to be noted. Now, was Bowley by Mitchell at best? I didn't think so based on what I've read and what I've seen. But this was just a slot, a slugged out uh, football game both ways. And, you know, McLeod Bethel-Thompson gets one or two more plays to go his way. And I want to say he out-dueled Paul Levi Mitchell. But let me tell you something. When that football game was in the most important stages of the game, Toronto outscored Calgary 11-3 when the game mattered the most in the fourth quarter, including a late field goal to go up including the touchdown, which I think came with a two-point conversion today. I, I remember either seeing the score being 20 to 13 or 20 to 12 in favor of the Stampeders. Yeah, Eric Rogers, I believe, late in the game had that two-point convert. Yeah, so to me, this is the concerning trend that we're starting to see with Calgary is why all these field goals, and I know it's really, really early, but the lot of touchdowns kept Toronto in this game because I've been paired as tip three or four or five field goals. Um, you know, they only had one one touchdown in the game, I think, uh, Calgary. Um, you know, maybe Tor- here's the here's the thing that I really dislike is we have to talk about teams after one game. You know, you're, you're not your worst in week number one. You're not your best in week number one. You're somewhere in between. Am I shocked that Toronto went into Calgary and beat Calgary? 
Yes. Am I fully surprised? No. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I wasn't that shocked either. Like, I picked Calgary last week in our pick as well. Um, but I thought it was going to be a close game. Remember, I have Toronto finishing second in the East this year and competing for the second best record in the CFL. I think they're going to be a good team this year. I think Calgary's still going to be a good team as well. So I thought this was going to be a closely contested matchup. Uh, and, and that's what we got. Like they traded uh, points back and forth. It was almost tied at halftime. Uh, if Toronto wouldn't have missed and gotten just the Rouge on the last second field goal there. Uh, so it was, you know, highly contested all the way through. It was a great matchup between these two teams. And Toronto made just a couple more plays uh, to go on and, uh, you know, pick up this win here. And, and as much as we want to talk about Bethel Thompson getting the job done on offense, I mean, that was about as good of a game as he could have, as we've seen from him uh, and the rest of the offensive crew. Uh, to me, the biggest change for Toronto is the defense. The defense was the team's Achilles heel. I thought in 2019 and they completely revamped it. They brought in so many big pieces here. I mean, the linebacker, if you want to just talk about a linebacker crew of Cam Judge, Enoch Mwamba, and I believe Dexter McGoyle was playing at the other linebacker position. Like put that up there as one of the best in the league, hands down, I would say talent wise. And that's going to cause nightmares for a lot of teams. And they did that to uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, who completed you know 65.7% of his passes, 252 yards, one touchdown and interception. These aren't exactly Bo Levi numbers that we're used to. We're used to. Uh, there should be no reason against Toronto that Bo's not putting up over 300 yards and three touchdowns on the board historically, you know. Uh, so I thought the Argos defense really tightened that up, which will allow them to balance their offense more. Now, I know they only had John White carry the ball nine times for 28 yards, uh, which wasn't a heavy workload for him there. But I expect, you know, the defense tightening things up means Toronto is going to be in or leading in many more games this year, and we're going to see a much more balanced offense, and that's just going to make the whole team better. And I think we saw that with the lack of interceptions from McLeod Bethel Thompson. Because he now realizes, hey, I don't need to do everything myself, right? It seemed like at times, and I think this is why, you know, I have not grown to see McLeod Bethel Thompson as one of those top-tier quarterbacks, is because it's every once in a while we see that, why the heck did he just throw that where he threw it? You know, if he can mitigate that and mitigate the quote-unquote careless interceptions, and I think that the byproduct of knowing that he doesn't need to do everything uh, all by himself anymore, I, I think to be very honest with a lot of people, Nick Arbuckle is going to struggle getting back on the field. One man's injury is another man's opportunity. And I just do not see any way, barring some kind of unforeseen circumstance, how you can let Nick Arbuckle on the field after that kind of gritty performance from McLeod Bethel Thompson. 
Yeah, I'm the same way. I think week two now you 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 gotta ride Bethel Thompson until until he falters, right? Uh, a good start to the year for the Argos. Uh, their leading receiver, Ricky Collins Jr., 126 yards on six catches. Again, uh, coming over from played with Edmonton last season, had over a thousand yards. This is almost in the same realm of things as whole Michael Riley listed as the starter on the depth chart. This was maybe the more frustrating one because the depth chart comes out for Toronto and Collins is listed as a backup to uh, Curley Gittins Jr., who did get a touchdown in the game, fair to him. But uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking over these depth charts. I've been doing CFL fantasy advice uh, on YouTube and on Twitter. And I'll talk more about that again later. Um, so, you know, I see these depth charts I'm recommending case, stay away from Ricky Collins. He's listed as the backup, like maybe he's not going to play very much in this game. And then he's their leading receiver and it's not due to injury that he got into the lineup all of a sudden. So, uh, it's one of those things where these teams are, you know, why is he listed as the backup when we're all expecting him coming in to be one of the starters? I don't have an explanation for it. I don't know why he was listed on the backup and then was their leading receiver. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. I, I don't know how much credence we can take into depth charts anymore. No. They, are, they are exactly what they are. That's depth charts. And they're not written in ink or, or stone, but rather pencil. Yeah, that, that's fair. Uh, so, yeah, another frustrating uh, thing potentially for some people when it came uh, to CFL Fantasy this week. Uh, guy who I love to see having himself a fantastic night on the Calgary side of things, Kamar Jordan. Uh, caught all five targets going his way, 85 yards and a touchdown. Uh, you know, when he's been playing, he's been one of the top receivers in the CFL, but he missed the whole 2019 season. So, for him, it's really been three years since we last saw him out on the field. Uh, and he had a fantastic game. And I think he will be uh, the go-to guy for Bowie by Mitchell in that Calgary offense. The rest of the wide receiver group there uh, is fairly on the younger side, I would say. And I think we'll see it kind of spread the ball around between all of them a little bit. Uh, but you would have to think Jordan's going to be the leader week in and week out there. Yeah, and you know what? I would agree. Um, it's, it's, it's also a very, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting situation because I remember BC did that with the particular uh, Winnipeg Blue Bomber running back right now. Uh, they deemed them not to be, I guess, number one material because of his age. Uh, Andrew Harris has since rewritten that narrative up until this year. I would expect those receivers that used to be in Calgary with Toronto uh, to have fairly big seasons, improve their former general manager, Ron, uh, for thinking that, you know, the expiry tag is hit on a lot of those receivers. I think the year off, to be honest, has helped a lot of those guys. Um but I, I'm just very curious to see the Calgary-Toronto comparisons all season long about, you know, there's a reason that Calgary management didn't bring those guys back. 
and there's a reason that head coach Ryan Dinwiddie wanted a lot of those guys in his lineup. Who's going to be right is ultimately in wait-and-see mode, but I think to see the trajectory of the Toronto Argonauts and the Calgary Stampeders will be something to watch for uh, this year. Well said. Uh, let's move on to our final game of the week. Uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks and the Edmonton Elks playing their first game under the new name. Uh, this was coming in. We all expected this to be the most lopsided game of the week. So naturally, you're probably expecting me to tell you Edmonton won this game something like 35 to 12 or 35 to 10. Uh, no, they lost. Um, Ottawa wins this game 16 to 12. Uh, so now you might be thinking, oh, Matt Nichols had himself a pretty good day. Hey, uh, you're probably telling me Nichols had, you know, three touchdown or a couple touchdown passes here, uh, you know, 200 something yards. No, 12 of 20 for 71 yards and zero touchdowns. Um, the Red Blacks win this game. No thanks to their offense. Uh, it was fully the defense who stepped up big time. Three interceptions on Edmonton quarterback Trevor Harris, including a, an absolutely beautiful uh, pick six by Abdul Kane. What a game by that Ottawa defense. Put some respect on their names. Yeah. Um, this is really interesting to me because I don't want to say Trevor Harris got frustrated in the second half, but in a normal circumstance, Trevor Harris doesn't make two of those three interceptions. No. For some reason, he felt the need to force the issue. Um, which is a bit perplexing to me because you have a running back who had a great game uh, in, in uh, James Wilder Jr. What was exactly the need to force, particularly the pit sits at that point in time? I mean, you're going in to score. You're going in to extend your lead to a minimum of what I think would have been six or even seven points at the time, which you know in the back of your head, but in Ottawa offense, which hasn't really done much up until that point, I just don't understand the need to throw that football. Now, I understand, you know, you're Trevor Harris. You want to give him, give him the benefit of a doubt. But you got a hundred yard, you know, running back in the backfield who can help you get some points. If you, if you don't get the first down, you get the field goal. You make their offense come back for a come back for a touchdown to win the game, which they didn't prove that they could do all game long. And I'm just terribly confused by what was trying to be accomplished in that moment. What? If the CFL in the next couple of days is going to unveil players of the week, I'm not sure what how they're doing that exactly this year. Like, if Abdul Kane is not the number one or at least one of the players of the week, I, I think they made a mistake because he had two interceptions, including that beautiful pick six, which was really the turning point of this game. Not only that, 
what drama of a finish to this game, which arguably throughout the week uh, or throughout all the games we've talked about was probably the most boring of the week uh, for the most part. You know, it was basically these teams trading field goals back and forth until that pick six um, and not really getting much going offensively. Well, all of a sudden at the end, Ottawa's up by a bit. Edmonton in the final moments is driving, they're driving. And they get the ball down to the one-yard line on a pass to James Tuck, and he gets stopped with no time left at the one-yard line. And guess who's the guy that makes the big play to stop that? It is Abdul Kane, who made basically every big play Ottawa needed to win this football game. Here's a question for you. And you asked me a variant of this question on the weekend. Did we sleep on Ottawa's defense? Or are we looking at a lack of execution on Ottawa's offense? Uh, sorry, on Edmonton's offense. Well, here's my big bone to pick, right? So I'll, I'll say this, both. I think it's both. I think, I think we've slept on this Ottawa team too much. Um, obviously, offensively, things didn't get going for them. I'll touch on that in a moment. But... My big bone to pick is Edmonton. This has been the problem for how many years in a row now where Trevor Harris puts up some of the best numbers in the game, you know, leads the league or is up there in the top of the league in passing yards uh, year in and year out. Uh, you have, okay, we thought maybe some of it was the offensive scheme. Well, Jason Moss isn't there anymore. They bring in Jamie Elizondo, who is his former offensive coordinator and coach out in Ottawa. They bring in a whole slew of new wide receivers for him and Darrell Walker coming back. They bring in Armonte Edwards, you know, Mike Jones uh, among them. They bring in for him. They bring in James Wilder Jr. who had a heck of a game as their running back. You, you think all of these things combined, Edmonton's offense would finally figure out how to put the ball in the end zone, No. Like, like this has been a thing for many years. They get the yards, and then all of a sudden they see the red zone, and they think, no, sorry, we can't go there. We're not allowed in the red zone. And Sean White has to come out and kick a bunch of field goals, and that happened again this week, a four-field goal night for Sean White, and that's the only points Edmonton puts on the board despite 333 passing yards on 33 pass attempts and uh, 89 yards on the ground for Wilder. Like, uh, a lot of offensive yards and no TDs to gain from it. I don't understand how this is happening again for Edmonton, despite all of the changes they've made. Here's a question for you, and I don't want to overreact to this one week. Do the Edmonton Elk lack that receiver from inside 10 yards, that big play die that if if I can be a nostalgic for a moment here, the, the Jamie Stoddard, uh, the Ben Cahoons, you know, those guys that you can count on to make that, you know, when you need five yards or you need 10 yards, you can make that big, big play, that in tight, that with the two defenders draped over you to make that big first down catch on second down. A lot of Edmonton's receivers to me strike me as big play guys. Ellington, Darrell Walker. Maybe I'm way off base, 
but who's that receiver that's going to make the catch in tight traffic in when you only need 10 or 15 yards? It, it should a, be one of those guys you mentioned. It should be a Greg Ellingson. That's something he's really good at. Same thing with Armani Edwards, I think, was a, was a big red zone threat there for when he was in Toronto. And, like, like there's so much talent on this offense for Edmonton. Surely one of these guys has to be the guy for that. It's, it's, a, it's befuddled me for years, Ryan, how certain instances have held back this Edmonton team from being really, really good. And I fear the same thing happening this year. There are lots of finish in a game that they should have won. Now, let's also touch on the fact that I cannot recall a team winning a game with less than 10 first downs. Seven, to be exact, is how many they had. Okay, because I know where that sits, but I wasn't sure what the, the final number wound up. Yeah, they, they managed one more. It was a big play, trust me. It was like a 10 yard pass. But I did, to be honest, I cannot wrap my head around the fact that seven first downs won a football game. And I, I, I just, as somebody that took Edmonton to finish first in the West this year, I don't know. Like, I'm seeing this lack of the same thing biting them in the rear as in pastures. And I hope I'm wrong. But we're seeing a lot of the same issues start to creep in to Edmonton's game of, yeah, we outgained them 200 and something to 70 in passing yards, maybe more. We had a fairly better adequate running game compared to them. Their quarterback in Matt Nichols couldn't complete a pass because he was constantly running for his life. And then when he did throw a pass, didn't look overly comfortable doing so. But I, I don't mean to disparage what Ottawa did to win the game, but this had a massive missed opportunity for Edmonton. It's you have a chance. You hold the team's offense defensively to that, and you still can't get the job done. It's time to really, really evaluate because, Ryan, this isn't an 18-game season. No, it's this not. Is the, this is the 14-game season in a very, very competitive division where two teams showed that they are capable of winning a game the way it needs to be won, not necessarily airing it out. The Bombers won that game. The Riders won the game. Calgary lost the game, but that should be debated. If Edmonton doesn't get things going in a hurry, they're going to run out of time to be at the top of this division because once you fall behind particularly in the West Division, we see how extremely hard it is to get back into the race for some, be it a home playoff game or third place. And I think this year, it'll be a fight for a crossover. I'm not even sold there's going to be a crossover this year. Still early. I, I 
going back and forth as to whether there's going to be one. But but but, but when you're in a division like you are for Edmonton, with all due respect to Ottawa, and they had a great game. That is a game that you have to win. And if you're one if you're one game short of the playoffs or you're one game short of a home playoff team, you'll be looking how you were one yard short. The confusing thing for me is what to expect next from Ottawa. Because they did this in the first game of last season, remember? Like they, they upset Calgary, I believe, in week one last season. I think it was they beat in week two, Saskatchewan, maybe. Um, they they started 2-0 to start the year, which was much to everybody's surprise, and then uh, everything fell off from there. Um, same thing with this game here. Like, they got nothing going offensively. Like, they won a football game with only 127 yards of offense and only 24 minutes of possession time. You know, Edmonton had uh, over 300 more yards of offense, over 11 minutes more time with the ball. Like, the offense surely can't be this bad for Ottawa, I would think, in subsequent weeks. At least I hope not. Like, Nichols is hopefully going to be better because uh, he had a rough game, as you mentioned. Uh, I think Flanders, I still like the potential of Flanders at running back. Uh, I think they do have some exciting receivers there in Ottawa. Uh, but certainly the defense, I don't think, can put up as outstanding of a big finish performance as they did in this game week in and week out either, especially if they're on the field for that long. So my question to you is what do you see going forward here for Ottawa? Do you think the offense and defense will balance out a little bit or is this a case of, okay, the defense can do this or the defense can be this good. The offense is this bad and we might see Ottawa start to fall off again if the defense can't keep up the big plays. Here's, here's the thing. I think there's no, there's no one more frustrated, I think, with the offense than Paul Apolise. I think that would be a, a fair assessment to start. I just didn't see much from... I don't, I just don't know how much you can make of one week, but the lack of offense for Ottawa is cause for alarm. And I know they have a bye this week. And I'm hoping that it's Matt Nettles back to full health. But I'll tell you what, if there's any hint that you know, Nettles is not ready to go coming out of the bike. I think it's time to look at Dom Davis as your week three starter. Because you need more out of this offense and in a hurry. They had seven first downs in a Canadian football league game, which is a very, very, very highly offensive lead when it comes to first downs and what have you. Seven first downs is like an insult to the game. Even if you're not having a great game, there is no reason why in a losing cause you can't put up 15 to 20 first downs. Yeah. 30 to 35 if you're winning and have a great offensive game. This game is built for offense. This game is built for first downs. 
the defenses are always ahead of the offenses um, at this point in the season. We, we, we see it every year. But Ottawa's offense has me questioning a lot of things. Well, we'll see how they come out of that bye week, as you mentioned. Uh, let's get into our uh, fantasy and pick them for the week to close out the show. Uh, our CFL Fantasy League uh, between Mike and I, if you listen to the last episode, we drafted our teams for the season. We set our lineups for week one. Uh, I ended up going with Trevor Harris at quarterback, uh, John White, Tim Flanders, Kadeem Carey as my running backs. Uh, Darrell Walker, Brian Burnham, Brandon Banks, Hergie Mayala at wide receiver. Uh, the Bombers defense, which ended up going very well. Uh, and Lewis Ward as my kicker for 120.9 points. Uh, Mike had Bo Levi Mitchell at quarterback, Sean Thomas Erlington, Brady Oliveira, James Wilder Jr. at running back, Greg Ellingson, Kenny Lawler, Shaq Evans, Braden Lenius at wide receiver, the Ticats defense, and Rene Paradis at kicker for 131.98 points. So, Mike, you take the win in week number one, uh, and you are currently up 11 points in the standings. Uh, what do you make of your week one in CFL Fantasy? Well, I think the only thing I'm really disappointed with is uh, Sean Thomas Erlington, really. I mean, I, I mean, I, I expected more from him, but then again, he played my team defense, which I'm very happy with. So, all in all, offense considered for week one, I'm, I'm very happy with my week. Yeah, great week. Uh, we'll see how, uh, if I can bounce back in week number two. Uh, also on the fantasy side of things, uh, the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League is back for another year. Uh, organized by yours truly. Uh, there are eight of us in the league this year. Uh, you can check out the CF Pod Network Twitter account. Uh, I'll be tweeting out the matchups and the results there each and every week. Uh, and in week one, I got to take on the defending champ, Safamod from the Piffles podcast. And uh, I pulled out the win, 102.4 points in the official CFL fantasy game for myself. The top scorer. Uh, in our league for the week, uh, picks me up the win in week one. Uh, so I'm happy to knock off the champ. That's exactly how I like to start off the season and uh, look to keep it rolling week number two against uh, Mike from Podski Wee. Uh, so another classic Winnipeg Hamilton matchup. And uh, I sure hope this one goes as well as the last two between our respective football teams. So uh, make sure you check out their podcasts as well. Uh, the Piffles Podcast and Podski Wee Wee. Uh, shout out to those guys there. Uh, getting into CFL Pick'em. Uh, Mike, as good as fantasy was, I don't think Pick'em was too good for us this week. Uh, yeah. Uh, I believe I went one in three. Uh, my only correct game being I took the Bombers over the Ticats, and I don't even believe you did. I believe it was an 0-4 week for you, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not great, not great. Uh, so looking to bounce back in week number two, 
Let's go through and make our picks for these games here. Uh, the week kicks off Thursday night. Calgary hosting BC. Uh, the pick trend on pick'em.cfl.ca. 85% in favor of Calgary. Uh, you go first on this one. Who are you taking? Yeah, I'm surprised it's 85%. And I, I'm surprised that... Uh, I guess I should say I'm disappointed at the lack of respect for PC getting into this team. But I understand that given their questions at quarterback, Calgary coming off a loss to some ridiculous record that I'm not even sure I ever believed to be true, but it is. I expect the stats to bounce back nicely and send the BC Lions toe and two. Yeah, I agree with you on this one. I think the quarterback is definitely a concern. I, I love, I want to, I'm excited to see if Rourke gets another start, what he's going to bring uh, in his second game here. But uh, I, I think this one's Calgary. I agree with the trend here. I, I'm hoping BC keeps it close, but. I'll say BC needs to come out and have a better start because I don't know if they're coming back uh, by that big of a margin against Calgary at home coming off a loss. Uh, so I will take the Stamp Eaters as well and a big bounce back game from Bo Levi Mitchell. Uh, moving to the Friday night game, the Bombers hosting the Toronto Argonauts uh, in a, the first of a back-to-back -back that play again next week. Uh, I think this is a bit of another disrespectful pick trend here. The Bombers at 87% over the over the Argos. Uh, I would put the, I'm going to put this at a very close game. I think this will be close. I think this will come down to potentially a last second field goal uh, or something along that lines. Uh, I will take the Bombers at home uh, because I do like what I saw last week, and I think they will put up a similar performance again this week. Uh, but I'm expecting a close game, and uh, I'm excited to see what that Argos team is going to bring. How many games in a row have the Bombers won dating back to last year? Uh, good question. Well, at least three in the playoffs. Yeah, the answer is five now. The last week of this season, the regular season, and the three playoff teams, and then the Jimmy Dent Hamill. Right. How many times have I pet the Bombers in that span? <laughs> the answer I, is zero. The answer is zero. So am I picking the Bombers again this week? <laughs> Absolutely not. You're just gonna keep this. You're just gonna keep this going all season. I don't know. We'll see. I'm just, I'm just somewhat joking here, folks. But no, I think the Argos are being disrespected. I hope the Bombers don't take them lightly. I saw some defense from the Argos that I really, really liked. I sent the team in Calgary that I really, really hyped up. So the question is, who is going to play better defense and who's going to get some timely offense in this game? Well, I'll tell you what. 2019, there was that horrendous collapse that the Bombers had at BMO Field to end their unbeaten run there to start. Remember that team? No, I try to block it out of my memory. Well, I'll tell you what. Macbeth leads the Argos to a last-minute win over the Bombers. All right, fair enough. Uh, getting into the doubleheader on Saturday, the Edmonton Elks at home to the Montreal Alouettes playing their first game of the season. Uh, you're up first on this one, Mike. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not sure what to expect 
from Montreal after having, you know, basically a year and a half plus a week to think about it. Uh, I'm expecting a big season from Montreal. I know there's some that say it's going to be a letdown. Uh, I expect Montreal to be a playoff team. I expect Montreal to come out with a statement in Edmonton. And there's trouble in Elk country. The Elks are going to be handed a second straight home loss. I will take Edmonton. I think it'll be another close game. It'll be an exciting game. I think Edmonton's got to be so pissed off about how they lost that game to Ottawa. I, I think that offense is just too talented to not get it together. Um, they like they're going to have to put at least they're putting at least one touchdown on the board this week. Look, they they better be. If not, that that's a nightmare. Uh, I think it'll be a bounce back game for Edmonton. I, I'm excited to see what Montreal does to start the year. Uh, but I will take the, uh, I believe, the same result we saw last time these teams met in the uh, playoffs in 2019 and have Edmonton pulling out the win at home. And, uh, by the way, to pick trend on that one, 70% in favor of the Elks uh, is the trend there. Uh, and then getting into what looks like it's going to be the tightest from a prediction standpoint game of the week. Uh, the Riders hosting the Ticats pick trend is 55% in favor of Saskatchewan. And uh, I'll go against the trend here. I'm taking the Ticats on the road. Uh, I'm not sure injury status of the uh, Chris Van Zyl, Braylon Addison, Devere Posey at this point in the week. I don't think they're out long term, any of these guys. And if they get some of them back in the lineup, I think that's going to help tremendously for Hamilton. I think Hamilton is going to be much better this week. I think we're going to see less drop the balls. Um, I, I, I like the Ticats on a bounce back week. I think they're a good team that had an unfortunate run in with the Stanley Cup, or the, not the Stanley Cup, the Grey Cup champs in week one. Yeah, I agree with you, right, on this one. Um, I didn't like the way the Riders finished that last game. Um, like I said, if it was a closer game at halftime, I don't think the Riders win the game. I think Hamilton's going to have a burn their saddle to prove that uh, last week's game in Winnipeg was a one-off. Um, I'm not sure if the team stayed out west. I'm assuming they probably did, uh, so they didn't have to go back and forth. I, it just occurred to me, Ryan, as you were talking, Hamilton's home open is not till Labor Day. So they have lots of time to, I guess, to figure out this uh, winning on the road thing. And I, I, I think Mazzoli is going to outdo Cody Fajardo. And I think when it comes down to making one defensive stop, I like uh, Hamilton in this game by less than a touchdown. All right. That's our picks for week number two. Get your picks in as well. Hit to uh, pickem.cfl.ca. Join our public Canadian football countdown group there. You should be able to just search for it. Uh, join our group on CFL Fantasy uh, and play against me there as well. Of course, if you're looking for CFL Fantasy advice, check out on YouTube. Check out the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix. Uh, I put episode one up last week. I'll be recording episode two on Tuesday and probably releasing it Wednesday. Uh, this week, talking through the ins and outs of CFL Fantasy previewing week number two. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, it's, it's hard to predict based on depth charts, as we talked about today. 
but uh, as the depth charts come out later in the week, I do tweet out anything fantasy related of note based on those uh, from my Twitter account at Cooper Trooper 42. So you can check out all of the CFL fantasy content out there. Uh, Mike, as we wrap up the show, any content of yours you want to plug? What are you up to these days that people can uh, watch or listen to? Well, people can uh, follow me, uh, my other uh, channel on Instagram at Jametime TV MB. There'll be some big uh, news coming out either late this week or early next week, depending if I can get the eyes and the T's crossed. Uh, quick enough here by the end of the week, but uh, I'm hearing that that announcement may also have some bearing on our show for, for, for the future, anyway. Uh, I don't want to elaborate too much because uh, I don't want to be known as a spoiler, but uh, there is some sizable news coming. I can't wait to share with a lot of people, uh, as well. And also, I just came up with this wonderful idea for a segment on that sweet show. Oh, since, since everybody about Montreal has played two games, I think we should do an overreaction versus a uh, per, I don't know what the what the other word would be overreaction or just okay or something like that uh, based on team performances. Um, it's just came to my mind because in my head I keep thinking. Oh, you know what? Don't overreact to one week. Well, let's give it a two-week sample size and see if we still have those same overreactions uh, next week. I like it. I like it. We'll put that in the show for next week. Uh, that does it for today's show. Uh, if you're Whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, subscribe, like, leave us a review. Uh, we love those. Uh, help share the link to the show. Help us get it out to more people who hopefully will enjoy this content as much as you hopefully did yourself. Uh, follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM uh, for all of our content there, uh, which is mostly, honestly, just tweeting out the show link, if I'm being honest. Uh, but you can always find them there when they come out. Uh, you can follow me, as I mentioned, at CooperTrooper42 on Twitter for all the CFL fantasy stuff. You can find Mike on Twitter, at Mike Carroll. Uh, check out all the other great shows around the Canadian Football Podcast Network at cfpodnetwork.ca. Uh, it's great to have everybody back talking about actual games again. And uh, it is so fun to be able to talk about them here as we've done for... I don't have the exact time stamp in front of me, but I'm going to guess an hour and 15 to 30 minutes here. Uh, lots to talk about in week one. We hope week two will be just as entertaining as the first week was. So enjoy week number two, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.